Good morning. It's a true joy to be with all of you here at Family Camp 5. As Jared mentioned, my name is David Kotner, and I am the lead pastor of Prairie Flower Baptist Church located in southeast Iowa, Washington, Iowa, about three and a half hours south of here. And I've been the lead pastor there at Prairie Flower for going on nine years this November. And you know, when I was first studying for the ministry at Faith Baptist Bible College, I never envisioned that I would be a small town in the middle of a cornfield preacher. I thought I would get my training at Faith Baptist Bible College and then jet off to the big city somewhere, but God had other plans for me and my family, and I, for one, am so very grateful. I love it. I love Prairie Flower Baptist Church. I love being a small town preacher. I love being out in the middle of a cornfield. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And by God's grace, I will be at Prairie Flower for a long, long time. Hopefully, hopefully I'll be at Prairie Flower longer than 13 years. My predecessor, Don Collins, was at Prairie Flower for 13 years, and he is the longest-serving pastor in Prairie Flower's 167-year history. And I know that's not flattering for the church as a whole to have a pastor, the longest-serving pastor, being there for only 13 years. But if I can beat my predecessor and go 14 years, I would be the longest-serving pastor at Prairie Flower Baptist Church in 167 years. So I'm kind of gunning for 14 years and 15 years by God's grace, et cetera, et cetera. But I am so very grateful to be here and to be a representative of Prairie Flower Baptist Church. I am here with my family, and I do believe that we have a picture of my family. There we are. I'm here with my wife, Heather. We've been married now for a little over 12 years, and life is grand, I suppose. There's ups and there's downs, and you know how life is when you're married. But we've been married for 12 years, and she's a fantastic wife, and I'm a better husband. And Anyway, yes, but there's our four kids as well. So there's Anne-Marie, our oldest. She is 10 years old, and she is a typical firstborn child, very type A personality, very much like me. Then little David is our next child. I call him little David because my name is David. I am David Paul Cotner III, and he is David Paul Cotner IV. And by God's grace... We will have a David Paul Cotner V in our future, if David would be so kind as to make that happen in the future. But yeah, that is little David right there. Then we have Aurora. Aurora is our spitfire of a child. We call her Spicy. It was a nickname given to her by her great-grandmother, and it's just stuck. So if you see Aurora, feel free to call her Spicy. She may or may not remember that's her nickname because she's only four years old, but she is our spicy child, our wild child. She lives life in the moment with no concern for the past, with no thought of the future. She lives in the moment and by God's grace, we're going to steer her in the right direction. And then Derek right there is our fourth child and our second son. He's our adopted child. We adopted him from the Mesa, Phoenix, Arizona area, a homeless situation, a drug situation, just a horrible situation there with the birth parents. But we had the great privilege of flying out to Arizona. When was it? Last year? Beginning of last year? That's right. And we picked him up and we're able to help him detox, and then bring him back to Iowa. And we were able to adopt him August 17th of 2021. So he's coming up on his adoption day, which is kind of, kind of exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. 
So that's my family that I just rattled off rather quickly there. Again, Heather's my wife, then Anne-Marie is 10, little David is 8, Aurora is 4, and Derek is 19 months old, and we're expecting we have a baby on the way. Not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily my plans. I feel tapped out. I feel like I'm at max capacity, but God's like, you just keep going, buddy. You just keep going. And it's like, yes, sir. All right, here we go. It's going to be just a great, great time. But I, I, I am truly grateful. Children are a blessing from the Lord, okay? A blessing from the Lord, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And I know that many of you, many of you resonate with that. So don't you look down upon me and judge me in harsh ways. <laughs> but that's my family, and we are all here. So feel free to come up, say hi, shake our hands, give us a hug, whatever you're prone to do. We would love to get to know you just a little bit more this week. We'll say, hey, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so we better get to work. I am absolutely loving camp's theme this summer. Life, it's more than a game. But here, here's where I want to go with this whole little thought. And I'm not bashing this whole line that life, it's more than a game. It's, it's true, but I want to kind of push on that theme a bit. And here, here's my tagline for this sermon series, this mini-series that we're going to be in here this week. Life is certainly more than a game, but it's not less than a game, so are you ready to play the game? Life is certainly more than a game. I'm not knocking that, but it's not less than a game, so are you ready to play the game? If you are, let me invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, particularly verse 7 of Proverbs 1 will be our anchor text of Scripture. Our focus text of scripture, it's my endeavor this week to have you swim or marinate in the book of Proverbs, and eventually we will swim downstream and land in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. In fact, the older I get, the more I just fall in love with the book of Ecclesiastes. It comes across like a crusty, cranky old man that you just can't help but love, and I feel like even at age 35 that I'm getting there. I'm getting to that level, and so I love the book of Ecclesiastes, but we're going to swim, for the most part, in the book of Proverbs this week, but we will end up in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it will be, by God's grace and by God's goodness, a good, good time. But we're in Proverbs chapter 1 here this morning, and we'll start in verse 1 in just a moment, but I, I, I mean it when I say what I just said. Life is certainly more than a game, but it's not less than a game, so I'm serious. Are you ready to play the game? You know, I think it is biblical to describe life as a game. Why do I say that? Because of what the Apostle Paul says, right? I believe it's in what? 2 Timothy chapter 2? Yeah. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is talking to Pastor Timothy and he's describing life. And he describes life using certain word pictures that life is like a battle. A series of battles. Life is like war and we're soldiers in this war. And if we're going to be good soldiers, we, we can't concern ourselves with civilian pursuits, but we got to focus on the mission so that we can please our commanding officer. The Apostle Paul says that to his protege, Pastor Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He would go on to describe life as a farming operation. 
And where I'm from in southeast Iowa, this resonates with our people. Life is like a farming operation. It's hard, hard work. And what does the Apostle Paul say to Timothy? That the hard-working farmer is first to partake of the crops. But don't forget that other word picture that the Apostle Paul uses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Life is not just a war, and we're soldiers in this war. Life is not just a farming operation, and we are farmers hard at work. But life is a game, for we are athletes in a game who must compete according to the rules, lest we be disqualified. So I think it's very appropriate and very biblical to describe life as a game. Yes, life is more than a game. It's war. Life is a farming operation, but life is not less than a game. So are you ready to play the game? If you are, you're in Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Just notice these words. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles." So right there in those first six verses, we get the writer of this account, it's King Solomon. And we have the why of this account, to know some things, to understand some things, to receive some things. And notice the first thing that King Solomon, the writer here, wants us to receive. Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you are ready to play the game of life, then the very first thing you need to understand in the form of our big idea is that to successfully play the game of life, you need to get God's wisdom. You need to get God's wisdom. That is abundantly clear in Proverbs 1, verse 7. Now, side note comment, footnote comment, stay with me. That word wisdom is a buzzword in the book of Proverbs. No less than 46 times do we read that word wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. In fact, wisdom is a mega theme when you look at the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. In fact, Pastor James, pastor of the megachurch in Jerusalem, half-brother to Jesus, would say this, if any of you lacks wisdom, and we all do at times, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, without bias, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, and it will be given to him. This idea of wisdom is a buzzword in the book of Proverbs. It's a mega theme in the whole of Scripture, and it's something that we need to devote some time and attention to here this morning. To successfully play the game of life, you need to get God's wisdom. I know we've already prayed a couple times in this service, but I'm aching for prayer, so why don't you pray with me at this time? God, as we dive into this topic here this morning and then later throughout this week, 
as we dive into this topic about life being more than a game, but not less than a game. So we need to play this game of life well. As we dive into this topic, God, would you be with us in a special way? Be with us collectively, transforming us by your word of truth. Be with me individually as the spokesman of truth. May I accurately handle your word. Be with my thoughts, be with my words, be with my motivations. God, help me to preach your word. Help me to herald truth, for your word is truth. God, I pray for the listeners specifically. Help them to respond to these words of truth, your words of truth. And yes, oh God, transform us all by your word of truth. God, as we dive into this topic of wisdom, wisdom from above, wisdom from you, true wisdom, real wisdom, a heavenly wisdom, a wisdom that we need to successfully navigate this life and play this game of life well, God, help us to block out distractions. 400-some people here with 400-some different thoughts and dreams and to-do lists and problems and issues and God, there's just so much going on, buzzing in people's hearts and minds even right now. God, would you smash that out, block that out, and help them to focus intently upon what you would have for them. Oh God, transform us all by your word of truth. We need your help. Bless this time in and around your word, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're talking about wisdom here this morning, so the obvious question before us is what is wisdom? What do we mean when we use that word? What does King Solomon mean when he uses no less than 46 times that word wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, let me give you two thoughts. If you're taking notes and you don't have to, but you got some notes in your book, let their fill in the blank notes. Let me just give those notes to you right off the bat. Wisdom is number one, connected to, according to Proverbs 1 verse 7, it's connected to the fear of the Lord. But secondly, and very importantly, wisdom is disconnected from the foolishness of man. That's my bottom line up front. That's cookies on the low shelf. What is wisdom? This thing that we need to navigate life and to play the game of life successfully. What is wisdom? Well, it's connected to the fear of the Lord, but it's disconnected from the foolishness of man. So let's talk about these things one by one. I'm saying that number one, wisdom is connected to the fear of the Lord. Notice Proverbs 1 verse 7a. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Wisdom is connected to the fear of the Lord, which begs another obvious, simple, straightforward question. What is the fear of the Lord? I'm glad you asked. Please pay attention. Let me first describe to you what the fear of the Lord is before I define it. I find that often a description before, and de- before a definition is very helpful. What is the fear of the Lord? Let me describe it in this way. The fear of the Lord is like looking at a gorgeous Iowa sunset. Ever see a gorgeous Iowa sunset before? Come on now. Ever see one? Yeah. I've been many places around this world. I was a soldier in the army stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado, been to places like Iraq. I I, I have seen some amazing locations on planet Earth. 
Iraq is not one of them per se. At night, when the stars are all shining, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But I've been to some amazing locations here on planet Earth. Amazing locations. Garden of the Gods in Colorado Springs, Colorado. A Dogwood Canyon in Missouri recently. I've been to some amazing, amazing locations on planet Earth. But nothing beats, in my opinion, an Iowa sunset. Man alive, it's just so gorgeous, our Iowa sunsets. So beautiful, but you can't get too close, can you? You can't get too close to the sun or what's going to happen to you. Just keep it simple. You're going to burn up and die. Iowa sunsets, so beautiful, but you can't get too close. You can't hop into a rocket ship and just blast off towards the location, the, the, the catalyst of that sunset, lest you burn up and die, perish, wiped out, gone. The fear of the Lord is like an Iowa sunset, so beautiful, but you can't get too close. The fear of the Lord is also like beholding Niagara Falls. Ever been to Niagara Falls before? Anyone? Yeah. I did my pastoral internship in New York, and about halfway through my internship, I was able to take some time off with my wife, and we were able to visit Niagara Falls. That place is pretty amazing. It should be on your bucket list if it's not on your bucket list, but man alive, Niagara Falls, such power, but you better not get too close to what's going to happen to you. You're going to get seriously injured, okay? Just Google, do waterfalls kill you? You'll get some responses. Just, just do it. The answer is yeah. A waterfall can kill you, seriously injure you, but possibly kill you. The fear of the Lord is like an Iowa sunset. So beautiful, yet you can't get too close. It's like Niagara Falls, such power streaming over that fall, but you can't get too close. What is the fear of the Lord just defined straight up? To fear the Lord is to have a holy respect for the beauty and power of our great God. When we talk about wisdom, what is it? It's intimately connected to the fear of the Lord. It's the entry point to all wisdom, true wisdom, the fear of the Lord. What is that? Holy reverence, a holy respect for the beauty and power of our great God. And let me add to that definition in the moment because here's some thoughts populating in my mind. The fear of the Lord is a holy respect for the beauty and power of our great God that causes there to be a distinction between God and us. There is always a creator-creature distinction. And don't you ever get it twisted. We will never be God ever. He is God and God alone, perfect in beauty and power. The fear of the Lord is that holy reverence or respect for his beauty and his power that causes there to be a forever eternal distinction between us and our great God. And notice, according to Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Specifically, it's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. It's holy respect for the Lord. It's holy reverence for the Lord. All caps, that's Yahweh. The personal name of our great God. Signifying the fact that he is a self-existent one. 
the sovereign of the universe. I am so sick and tired of preacher types like myself who give a limp-wristed, you know, a demonstration of our God. Like he's some sort of Santa Claus in the sky. Well, he is love and he's always there for you. And, you know, it's like, yeah, and he's God. He's the self-existent sovereign of the universe. We need to bow in his presence. Yes, we admire his beauty. We admire his power. But don't get too close. We can't get too close. And yes, balance is key. Preacher balance is key. That's what makes Jesus so amazing. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I get that. But when we think of God, the three, yet one, the one, yet three, oh, we are to fear the Lord. Yahweh, the self-existent one, the sovereign one, not COVID. We don't fear COVID. We don't fear economic disaster. We, 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 we don't fear this, that, or the other. You know, our world has a currency, and right now it's fear. Fear-mongering. The Bible is clear, the fear of the who? The Lord. Yeah, okay, so you're not getting it twisted, right? It's the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the entry point of wisdom. We fear the Lord, we fear Yahweh. We're in holy respect of his beauty and power. We don't fear COVID. We don't fear economic disaster. We don't fear this, that, and the other. We do not fear. And I say that as someone who's extremely anxious. You will see me this week counting on my hands, going through lists. I'm a little weird like that. I am detail-oriented. I like things just so. Look at the comb over, right? <laughs> That's me. But I tell you that we fear nothing except our great God, not necessarily because I've arrived there, I need to, but because that's the truth of scripture. We can fear this, that, and just all kinds of things all day long. But what does God's word say? What does the perfect word say? We fear the Lord. That's the entry point of true wisdom. And in order to fear the Lord, we got to know the Lord, trust the Lord, and submit our lives to the Lord. So I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So let me back up and slow my roll. You know, I, I'm going for it at this moment in time, Proverbs 1.7. Fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Okay, that, that's assuming a lot. The biblical writer, rightfully so, is assuming something, that you, number one, know the Lord, that you've trusted the Lord, that you've submitted your life to the Lord, have you? <laughs> I've been a pastor long enough to know that um, there are some people sitting out there and you hear, know the Lord, trust the Lord, submit your life to the Lord. You think, yeah, I go to church, not asking you that. I try really hard, not asking you that. I'm part of Kiwanis, the Lions Club, and the Rotary. I'm trying really hard to get back to my community, not asking you that. I don't cuss, not asking you that. My great granddaddy was a preacher, not asking you that. I'm here at a Christian camp, church camp, not asking you that. I'm asking you, do you know the Lord, trust the Lord, and have submitted your life to the Lord? Are you, are you here and merely a good person? I meet good people all day long. I, I live in southeast Iowa, 21 churches in a town of 7,000 people. Everyone's good. Everyone's got their lives put together, or it's completely falling apart. Like, it's like two extremes. Like, you got it all put together, or nothing's put together, all right? It's like our version of, of uh, 
what's that one town? New Orleans. Washington, Iowa is like a mini version of New Orleans. Like you got it all put together, you got everything, you got nothing. I meet good people all day long. I'm not asking you if you're good. In fact, Jesus would say, who is good? Why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that's, oh my, that's who? That's God. Do you know him? Do you know this self-existent, sovereign God of the universe who, yes, loves you, yes, created you, yes, has a perfect plan for your life? I'm not, I'm not demoting any of those truth claims or, or facts, but do you know this great God that I speak of through Jesus Christ, his son? The one who lived the life you should have lived? You know what's demanded of you to get into heaven? Perfection. And some of you are trying real hard because you're like me. You're that type A personality. You write everything down. You don't forget nothing, right? You got all the details mapped out. You got everything structured just so. You type A'ers out there, I'm I'm one with you. Hear me, hear me. What is required for heaven? Perfection. Perfection, not forgetting one item. Getting everything right the first time. Having the right motive in all that you do, for you can do right things with wrong motives. Jesus lived the life we all should have lived. He lived the perfect life. He lived the sinless life. Not in affection, not in thought, not in word, not in deed did he mess up. He was perfect in every conceivable category. Tempted in all points, just like us, yet without sin. And then he became sin for us who knew no sin, so that we could receive the righteousness of God. Do you know this God I speak of? Do you know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who lived the perfect life in your place, the one who died the perfect death in your place? Do you realize no matter how cutesy you look on the outside, no matter how many Rotary Clubs, Lions Club dinners you do to give back to the poor, no matter all that stuff, do you realize you're a sinner? Who deserves to die? Do you realize that? You deserve death. You deserve to die. And and, and don't, don't look so shocked or so pained. You know who you really are. I know who I really am. I am a pastor by profession. I've been pastoring for nine years, and some of the thoughts that creep into my brain and some of the things I think about would shock you. How can a Christian man think those thoughts? He's a pastor of a church? My God, and don't you look self-righteous and better off than me because we're a lot alike, all y'all and me. We are sinners in affection, thought, word, and deed. We are corrupt to our core. If we could get away with it, oh, we'd do it. We'd do it, don't lie. We would do it. And because of all that, we deserve to die. Yet Jesus took our place He died on the cross for all of our sins, the hidden ones and the exposed ones. Then he was buried in a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and then three days later, he literally, physically, victoriously, gloriously rose again from the dead. And he lives forevermore. And the Bible says, if you believe this message I declare to you, you will, you will, you will. What does will mean in Greek? It means you will. You will be saved. It's like certain. It's a promise. So I talk about fear the Lord. I get all hot and bothered about fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Do you know the Lord? 
Have you trusted the Lord? Have you submitted your life to the Lord? Do you know the Lord through Jesus Christ? Who is the Lord of glory? Notice the text here says the fear of the Lord. Now anything else is the beginning, the entry point of knowledge, of wisdom, of instruction. But that word knowledge... It's distinct to a degree from that word wisdom here in our text. Knowledge would be the facts of life, all right, information. Wisdom, you see that word used explicitly there at the end of verse 7, would be the application of life or the skillful use of information. The Bible's clear that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which leads to wisdom. Do you see the difference between Knowledge and wisdom, the facts of life versus the application of life. Perhaps an illustration might be helpful. I have my phone up here because I decide to play around randomly while I'm preaching in front of people. But perhaps uh, an illustration might help. Let me ask Google a question. Let me ask Google a question to illustrate this point. Let's see if this works. Is a tomato a vegetable? Britannica. The age-old question actually has an answer. It's both. Tomatoes are fruits that are considered vegetables by nutritionists. Botanically, a fruit is a ripened flower ovary and contains seeds. Thank you, Google. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I asked Google, who's omniscient, that is, Google knows all things, I asked Google a simple, straightforward question. Is a tomato a vegetable? And Google responded with some complexity. Google responded, if you were tracking carefully, so I didn't have my volume turned up all the way, initially anyway, but Google responded that a tomato is technically a fruit that is considered a vegetable by nutritionists. Now, I'm not trying to play like botany or plant life with you here. I have a point in saying all this. Knowledge is the understanding that technically a tomato is a fruit. But wisdom, and some of you have heard this illustration before, wisdom is the understanding that you don't put a tomato into your fruit salad. You tracking? So the starting point for all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. To try to get wisdom any other way is fraudulent. To try to get wisdom any other way makes you a phony fraud. To try to get wisdom through any other entry point except the fear of the Lord, a holy reverence and respect for his beauty and power, don't get too close, there's a distinction between us and him. To try to get wisdom through any other entry point except the fear of the Lord makes you a fraud. It would be like you with all the right intentions in the world, throwing on a white coat, going into the hospital and being like, I want to help people. I'm, I'm going to dispense some medical wisdom that I got from WebMD. I got my little stethoscope here. I'm going to check some, wherever they check out with those things, heartbeats. Yeah. I'm a nice person. I, I can give hugs all day long. I can empathize. I got my white coat on. I'm a doctor. No, you ain't. You're a phony fraud. 
well, I, I mean, well, I'm a nice person and I'm genuine. I, I, I'm not taking any of that from you. But you can't just throw on a white coat, go down to your local hospital and start dispensing medical information to people. You can't do that. There's an entry point, a proper entry point to becoming a doctor. Same thing with being a lawyer. I want to help people. So I got a fancy suit. I'll throw that on, march myself into the courthouse. What's the judge going to do? Get out of here. What are you doing? Well, I'm a lawyer. I got this fancy suit. I want to help you. I want to dispense some, some, some legal information to folk to help them out. There's an entry point when it comes to being a doctor. There's an entry point when it comes to being a lawyer. There's an entry point when it comes to wisdom, and it's the fear of the Lord. By first knowing him, trusting him, and submitting your life to him. Does that make sense? I have it repeating myself, and I really want you to understand something. So please get it, because sermons can't last forever. <laughs> so wisdom, what is it? It's connected to the fear of the Lord, but it's disconnected from the foolishness of man. Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord, and nothing else, is the beginning, the entry point of knowledge leading to wisdom, but notice a distinction, a comparison, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Huh, the foolishness of man. What do, we, what do we mean by the foolishness of man? What is foolishness? Well, just like the fear of the Lord, I think it's helpful to first describe it before I define it. Foolishness is the young man who thinks he's the exception to the rule. You, you know any young men like this? Are you such a young man? You, you just honestly think that you're the exception to the rule. Like normal rules don't apply to you. Like, you're special, you're unique, you've had these unique experiences in your life, so it gives you a pass on doing what everyone else is supposed to do. The Bible calls that not ingenuity, not thinking on your own. It doesn't call it being your own man, being your own person. It calls it foolishness. Foolishness is the young man who thinks he's the exception to the rule. Uh, foolishness could also be described in this way. The old man who has lots of experience in this life, but is morally bankrupt. You know any older men like that? Are you such an old man? I've been around the block. Man, I've worked hard for this. I deserve this. Oh, be careful. Be careful, and I know everything within you is like, don't, don't, you're, you're too young, don't talk to me like that. Don't, 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 don't. I, I'm trying to be respectful, dear sir. Perhaps, dear ma'am, some of you are here, and in the Monday through Saturday of your real life, you are telling yourself a very inaccurate worldly message. I've been around the block several times. I've worked hard for this. I deserve this. And though it's hidden right now, and maybe hidden to the day you die, you're foolish. You're wrong. Do you want to die a fool? Foolishness is the young man who honestly thinks he's the exception to the rule. Normal rules don't apply to this person. Foolishness is the old man who's lots of, lots of experiences, has worked hard and built something with his own hands, but is morally bankrupt, giving himself free passes on certain vices and sins because, well, I deserve it. 
Foolishness, simply, straightforwardly defined then, is living life based upon your own desired facts. My truth, your truth, and with no thought of God whatsoever. Man, man, this, this is the sad state of American culture today, even in the church. We got people, even in our churches, that are living life based upon their own desired facts. They're living life based upon their own construction of reality, as if reality can be shaped by them, instead of reality shaping them. We got people, even in our churches, who are living life based upon their own desired facts with no thought of God whatsoever. God is outside the picture, or perhaps in your scenario, because you're so much better than others, He's simply segregated or compartmentalized to Sunday. Ooh, I get really worked up on this because I'm a pastor of a church and I see people do this all the time. They can praise Jesus on Sunday. Oh yeah, both hands lifted up in worship, right? But the Monday through Saturday of their real life sings a different tune. We have so many people, even in the church today, that act like the fool. The young man who thinks he's the exception to the rule. The old man with lots of experience that's morally bankrupt, recognizes only himself as an authority. Can I be real for you? Oh, or can I be real with you for a moment? And I see it's 11.33. What, when am I supposed to be done? Please say it's later. It's a, it's a great question. You figure that out. Let me be real with you for a moment. I'm talking about the foolishness of man. 45? I got plenty of time. Here we go. It's only 11.33. Let me be real with you for a moment. We're talking about foolishness, the foolishness of man. Don't get lost in the saucer. We're talking about wisdom overall. If you want to successfully play the game of life, you got to get God's wisdom. What is that? It's connected to the fear of the Lord. It's disconnected from the foolishness of man. So keep the big picture in mind. But talking deeply about the foolishness of man, I want to be real with you for a moment. I am often the fool. Okay? I'm trying to level the playing field. I'm trying to be transparent, honest, real, raw, authentic, all the buzzwords that preachers use. But I'm really trying to be those things right now. If you're here and you're like, who is this crazy kid with a comb over? Who is this half Asian invasion that is just like <laughs> yelling at me? You know, like he's so much better than me. You know, if you're like, oh, I, I, I'm trying to be nice and gentle, all right? I'm just a little nerdy pastor. I'm no threat to you. Anything that you're feeling right now, frustration, pressure, conviction, I need to change, I need to get rid of that, that's the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> you got to do something with that, by the way. But let me level the playing field. I am often the fool. And I don't mean that in a cutesy, like false humility type way. I am literally often the fool. I often am the young man who thinks I'm the exception to the rule. You know, normal rules don't apply to me. I often act like the old man with lots of experience that thinks I've worked hard for this. I can give myself a green light just this once on this. I'm often the fool, and so are you. Real life example. Let's say it's Wednesday, midweek. It's been a long, long day. I've been serving Jesus all day, from sunup to sundown right? Went to the office there at church, 
fine-tuned a message for Sunday, had a couple counseling sessions, did some administration items, even visited a few folks, had our mid-week service prayer meeting thing. It's been a long day. Long day, 12, 13, 14 hours. And I'm ready to go home. So I'm driving home, and what do I think to myself? Man, it's going to be so nice to get home. I'm going to go home to some peace and some quiet. It's going to be nice. Mm. I'm lusting over these thoughts, pull into my garage, step up to the sliding glass window, and open it up. And what I'm about to say is no reflection of my dear wife, who is an amazing wife and mother, an amazing housekeeper. But let's just say on this one particular day, you know where I'm going with this, right? Let's just say on this one particular day, after a long day serving Jesus, and all I want is some peace and quiet, I open that sliding glass window, and instead of being greeted by my wife and four kids with, husband, daddy, you're home, we love you, here's something cool to drink and some hot food here on the table, there's toys everywhere. There's blankets everywhere. We got pillows shoved into places that we shouldn't be shoving pillows. We got dishes that are not done. Someone has carefully played Jenga on the, on the trash can, trying to get it just a little higher. I am, I am type A OCD. If you visit me in my office, I've got books arranged by genre and by height. That's the type of guy I am. No joke. So I walk into this situation, and what happens to my heart? Oh my goodness. There, there, there's some sadness, anxiety, anger, frustration that boils into my words. And then I begin to say things to my wife and children that are there in the kitchen. And everything I'm saying is blessing their socks off. I mean, my face, my tone of voice, my word choice. I'm such a wordsmith. I mean, in that moment, I'm blessing them as I talk about the importance of organization and discipline. As I talk about the importance of if we can't have our lives put together, how are we supposed to help others put their lives together? Like they're being blessed by my message, by the way, in a big, big way. Especially my wife, she's loving it. She's soaking it all in. My husband is a great pastor, a wonderful preacher. He's instructing me in all things in this moment. No, that's not happening in my wife's heart and mind or my children's hearts and minds. Because why? I'm acting like a fool. And we can chalk it up to all kinds of things. Oh, you're just normal. Oh, that's just natural. He, he, I do the same thing. We can chalk it up and smooth things over all day long, but God's word is clear. That's foolishness. And as a pastor and preacher of the word, I should know better. In fact, I'll be judged with a harsher strictness, according to Pastor James. Thank you, Pastor James, again. Book of James. If you teach the word, you're held to a higher standard. We can make excuses all day long, but often I play the fool, you play the fool, and we just need to call a spade a spade. Foolishness is foolishness. It's just the way it is. And let me say this as I get ready to land the plane here. A habitual pattern of foolishness is certainly concerning. But you know what's even more concerning? A habitual pattern of foolishness that is confronted with the straightforward truths or wisdom of the word of God and is flat out rejected. That's more concerning. 
All right, you hear me? We're almost done. Are you bored? Are you ready for lunch? Stay with me. We're almost done. Sermons don't last forever. Are you hearing me? If you want to successfully play the game of life in the Monday through Saturday of your real life, you need to get God's wisdom. You need to fear the Lord by first knowing him, trusting him, submitting your life to him. And that's the entry point for such wisdom. You can't get wisdom, true wisdom, through the foolishness of man. You just can't do it. Yet we often act like the fool. And a habitual pattern of foolishness is certainly concerning. But what's worse is a habitual pattern of foolishness that is straight up confronted with the truth or wisdom of God's word, and you say, no thanks. In almost nine years of ministry, and I know that's not a long time, and some of you are like, talk to me when you reach 20 years. That's fine. I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. But in nine years of ministry, I have stared into the faces of people who are living in complete rebellion against God and his word. I've confronted them on their sin, on their foolishness, and they have said, no thanks. Over and over and over again. It pains my heart. Most recently, last fall, random walk-in. Always blesses your pastor's socks off when it's a random walk-in visit. Random walk-in visit. Pastor, I don't want to take too much of your time. I just need to let you know something. I don't want to be guilty of gossip, but I think this is going on in one of your members' lives. What are you talking about? Well, I I work late, and I go by so-and-so's house, and for the last two weeks, I've seen my friend, your church member's vehicle, late at night at her place. I think they're living together. This guy's an older man. An older man, a widower, a widower, right? Widower, that's, that's the man version of, yeah, yeah, a widower, okay? 70 years old, Vietnam veteran, friend of mine, had coffee with this guy, prayed with this guy, held his dying wife's hand as cancer took her. Like, I know this guy. I love this guy. I've shepherded this guy. This guy's friend, his pastor. And sinking into his sadness and despair, seemingly, he's made the wrong decision, a wrong choice. He's delved full blast into foolishness. So-and-so is saying, I think this is going on. You're a pastor, his pastor, do something. I go over to this man's house. What's going on? Hey, shoot the breeze talked through some things, visited many times. Look him straight in the eye and say, how you doing, sir? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. You know how many times I'm told that as a pastor, especially on Sunday? I'm good. I'm fine. It's great. Really? Some of us are just like bust up, broken up inside. And we just (laughs) fake it. I'm like, no, sir, how are you really doing? He gets all riled up. What, 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 are you even, what, what are you here for? We didn't plan this. What are you here for? I'm like, hey, we're, we're, we're friends. We're, uh, you know me. I know you. I recount some history with him because all of a sudden he's treating me like a hostile visitor. And then boom, straight up, he just unloads. Okay, you've heard. You've heard. Yeah, I'm doing it. We're sleeping together. We're living together. You ain't doing anything about it. Sir, 
come on now. Get out of my house. Come on, you don't have to act this way. We know each other. Come on. I held your wife's dying hand as she slipped into glory. You know me. I love you. You know I love you. You don't have to act like this. Get out of my house. But you can't live this way. You call yourself a Christian. You're a church member. You, you, you can't be sleeping with your girlfriend and living with her and not expect you know, me to find out and me to do nothing. You think this is easy for me? And then he begins empathizing with me. I know you're just doing your job. It's got to be so hard for you. You know, thank you for doing your job. It's like, you don't have to comfort me. Like, stop this. Let me help you get out of this foolishness. I know it's hard. I know it's not going to be easy, but we can make some steps to correct this. I know that what I'm doing is sin. I know that it displeases Christ, literal words to me, and I don't care. Get out of my house. I have stared into the faces of people that I've built a relationship with, that I've ministered to. I've stared into the faces of people I love who are living in like blatant rebellion against God. And they admit to it. And they say, no. Get out. The Bible calls that foolishness. And if you continue to walk down such a path, it will destroy you. All that to say, to successfully play the game of life, you need to get God's wisdom by connecting yourself to the fear of the Lord and bypassing all other entry points, especially the foolishness of man. Was that too hot and heavy for a first message in this miniseries? Sorry if I went too hot and heavy. I get worked up. I love the word. And I'm going to grow to love you. But let's pray, and then we'll transition to something else here. Father in heaven, how grateful and thankful we are for this time that we got to spend in your holy word. Oh, how we love your word. Tune our hearts in a real way this day and this week to sing your praise. Oh, God, give to us your wisdom, for we need it. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen.